The word great was used with the tongues and interpretation today. And my topic today is the difference in great faith. And I believe God's going to do something great today because of the operation of someone's great faith today. Wednesday night we talked about faith being the difference maker. But tonight, today, we're going to talk about how there's actually great faith. And Jesus talked about it in the scriptures. That there is a level of great faith and there are characteristics to great faith. And I want to show you what Jesus calls great faith. Are you ready? Somebody say, I'm ready. If you're under the age of one, go ahead and cry. You can do it later. Thank you. Matthew 15 and 25. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. This is very rare in Scripture. There's not many times that Jesus used this phrase. He really bragged on this woman. You want, you want to be like this woman. And so when I read this, I want you to put yourself there. O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. What do you want because of your great faith? Something great is going to happen in this service today. But we've got to activate great faith today. What do you want? What's your desire? And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Everybody say her daughter. Somebody else was healed because of the great faith. Now I want to take you to our second reference of great faith, Matthew 8 and 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. This is the reference to a centurion who tried to reach out to Jesus because his servant was sick. There is a pattern. There are keys. There's a difference. This is not like every other story in the Bible. These two references are not like everybody else's here at Healing and Miracle. These are different. This is great faith, y'all. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Let's lift our hands and let's ask God to help us have great faith today so we can see something great take place. I truly believe that no matter what we're facing right now, no matter where that thing is in the world, that if you can access Jesus right now, no matter what you have need of, the Lord will do it in an instant, in a moment, and he doesn't even have to travel to that location. There's something that you desire today, and it will take great faith to activate it. It's possible. It's biblical. I want to have great faith. God, help us to have great faith as the Word puts a seed in our heart today. I want to be like those people, Jesus, and I want to see what they saw. Everybody say in Jesus' name. And God bless you. You can be seated once again. Thank you for being here. And if you're watching online, thank you for watching online. We're so glad you're here. And uh, I want to give honor also to uh, Sister Lisa's brother and uh, is here today. And we give them honor, the family, and we know them. They're no strangers to our church, but uh, a minister, a man of God. And so just so thankful for, for them for being here today to Sister Gilmore's family. And his name again, I, David, that's it, David. I'm sorry, David. David Gomez, we're so glad to have you. Wave your hand, David, Brother David, him and his family. 
He's a great guy. I'm so glad he is here today. We give him honor today and appreciate his service to the kingdom. Um, there are accounts of faith that Jesus didn't label as great faith. You've got a few examples, like blind Bartimaeus, a blind man who was healed and he received his sight. He had faith, but Jesus did not call it great faith. The woman with the issue of blood, she had a bleeding issue that she couldn't stop bleeding. She sought after doctor after doctor, and she crawled to Jesus, and she received a miracle. And from that moment on, she was completely healed, but the Bible does not say that she had great faith. There was a paralyzed man. He was sitting at the pool of Bethesda, and he received his miracle, but the Bible does not tell us that he had great faith. Of course, they had to have faith, but the Bible does not say they had great faith because, yes, there is a difference between the normal faith and great faith, or else Jesus would not have classified specific faith as being great. He would have never used the adjective of great to describe the faith. There are two instances that I have to just get right into this morning in the New Testament where Jesus declares somebody had great faith. Out of all the miracles that he performed, two specifically were mentioned. And the first that I want us to analyze together is this Canaanite woman who was referred to as a symbolic dog in her culture. I take you to Matthew 15 and 21 to study this with me. Matthew 15 and 21, then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And you think you've got problems. But he answered her not a word. You ever been there before? Sure you have. You're probably there right now. You prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and he hadn't answered you a word. We're talking about great faith, y'all. You, you have got to see yourself in this story. Because some of you don't even realize how much faith you really have. So he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. This is not really something I wanted to mention, but I just have to mention it. Sometimes the people in the church have good intentions, but when Jesus doesn't talk, that doesn't mean he's done with you. And you've got to be careful not to push people out of the kingdom that seem like Jesus isn't working with. Because they interpreted Jesus' quietness as Jesus being done. But they mess up. Just because he's not answering right now doesn't mean he's done with you. And you don't let anybody that seems spiritual tell you otherwise. You don't let the disciples of Christ be the voice of Christ alone. You have to wait on the Lord. And so he did not answer and the disciples mistaken that for get rid of her. She doesn't belong here. But he answered and said, almost playing into their hand, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, saying all of this so that this woman could hear. Because everything that Jesus says matters. Every word was written in the, in the Bible on purpose. And he made sure she could hear this statement. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This woman was not from the house of Israel. You've got to remember this. Why is this important? Because I'm pretty confident there's probably not many Israelites in this room right now. Does that help anybody else's faith? This is, this is all about great faith. Now look at verse 25. 
And then she came and she worshiped him. What do you do when he doesn't answer you? And what do you do when it seems like it's not your time? You worship. What do you do when he doesn't answer you? And what do you do when it seems like it's not your time? When it seems like he's going after somebody else? When it seems like he's trying to bless somebody across the church and it's not you? What do you do when you don't know how to get his attention? You just forget all of that and you start to worship him. Because it takes great faith to worship Jesus when he's quiet and it seems like it's not your season. It's always the season to worship Jesus. So she began to worship him. And here's how worship sounds. Lord, help me. That's what worship sounds like. Lord, help me. I know who you are. You're the master. You're the Lord. And I'm the one in need. That's what worship looks like. You're the Lord. And I'm the one in need. You're the Lord. And I'm the one that's hurting. You're the Lord. And I'm the one that needs something today. That's worship. See, you can, you can praise God all you want to, but worship is when you know you need something. It's when you're real with God. Some people praise God, they don't even look in the mirror. But you, it's impossible, it's impossible to worship God without looking in the mirror. And that's why she worships saying, Lord, I need something. Some people come to church to praise God, they don't see themselves, they're in need. And you've got to become, to become a worshiper, you've got to confess He's the Lord, He's the helper, and you're the one in need of it. And the reason why some of us can only praise God and not worship is because we won't confess that we need him. But he answered and said to her, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. It's not good to steal from the Israelites and give it to the non-Israelites. It's not good to take it from the people I came to help, the Jewish people, and give it to the Gentile people. It's not good to do that because my mission is the first take care of the people that I promised I would take care of, my people. This is a true statement. This isn't wrong. Jesus was telling the truth. His mission was first and foremost to reach his people that he made a covenant with and said he would take care of them. And so he came to those people, but look what he said. He said, why would I, as the master, take the kids that I came to take care of and take from them and their bread and let you have access to it? And she said, yes, Lord. Because great faith doesn't believe Jesus lies. He's telling the truth even if you don't like it. He's telling the truth even if you don't like what he said. He's not messing with you. He's not playing a game with you. He's being honest with you. And sometimes it feels really awkward when Jesus talks to you because you don't get the answer that you want. You can, you can read between the lines like I can, and Jesus is not backing off this dog comment. He's owning it. Yeah? And so look what she says. Yes, Lord, I agree with you, Lord. You're right. Okay, you're right. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. This is the response that great faith gives. Even the dogs, you calling me a dog? Guess what? Even the dogs. Anybody have a dog? I have one right there. And this dog loves the crumbs from the master's table. You can beat this dog and beat this dog. And this dog will be right back at the master's table. See, if you don't have a dog, you don't understand this scripture. I understand this scripture. I, I know the spirit of this woman. 
I get it. Because I have seen my dog get threatened. I have seen my dog get caged. I've seen my dog. We've tried everything to fix this dog's problem. But this dog will risk it all for a crumb. And Jesus calls that great faith. You've got to have faith like that if you're going to receive a miracle today. So Jesus answered and said, Oh, woman, great is your faith. This dog has got some great faith. This dog's about to get an amazing miracle. Hey, you call me what you want to call me, but I'm in need today. You can call me what you want, think what you want, but I'm in need today. I'll take the risk, I'll take the pain, but I'm not going to keep living like I'm living. I'm going to go to the master's table no matter the cost. It might not be for me, but I'm going to get what I can get. It might not be mine, but I'm going to try to find the crumbs because the crumbs, I'll settle for crumbs today. I'll settle for crumbs today. Hey, you're not really, you're not really ready for a miracle if you won't take crumbs. You're not really hungry if you won't take crumbs. The second one, and then we're going to talk about the pattern, is the centurion. Matthew 8 and 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant. There's a pattern. Are y'all watching? My servant is lying at home, not even here with me, paralyzed dreadfully tormented and jesus said to him i will come and heal him now he did not ask for jesus to come but the reason why jesus was going to go is because most people in that time did not believe that jesus could just speak it he was so used to the people's level of faith being low enough to where they'd have to be in the room physically to perform the miracle that he immediately began to say, then let's go to where he is. Because this was the standard of faith. But this man proved he had great faith. In verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, watch the wording here. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, I tell him to do it, and my servant will do it because I am a man of authority. All I've got to do is speak my commands. I don't have to lift a finger. Because true authority and power does not have to lift a finger or go to location, but true authority and power just has to say it speak it y'all he is seeing the jehovah in jesus he is seeing the creator of genesis 1 and 1 in this man he is seeing something bigger than a man than a prophet than someone from nazareth from someone that's under the lineage of joseph he is seeing someone from the lineage of kings someone from the beginning of time he's saying if you could just speak it like the heavens and the earth were spoken and created it shall be done You don't need anybody to lay a hand on you. You just need to have some great faith right now. Because if he decides to speak it, it shall be done in that very moment. 
Thank you, Jesus. Verse 10, then Jesus heard it and he marveled. He marveled. He marveled. <laughs> Jesus marveled. Jesus marveled. I don't know what English word we would use here, but he thought it was marvelous. He marveled at this. He thought it was incredible. This was impressive. How do you impress Jesus? How does a centurion, how does a non-Jew impress God? A non-religious person, someone who doesn't pray or fast, someone who doesn't study the Bible, someone who doesn't dress right. How do they impress God? I'm reading it to you. This is how you do it. You have great faith. And he says, marvelous, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Because this was, this was actually before the woman. This was actually before he found her. So the two accounts we have found, and here are the differences in great faith. Everybody say, I'm ready. You ready to unlock it? Here we go. First, number one, in both cases, the seeker had to travel to Jesus. I'm so glad you drove to church today. Because great faith will cost you travel expenses. Great faith will cost you $4.25 a gallon. Great faith will cost you getting up early and driving across town. Great faith will cost you getting the kids up out of bed, waking them up, getting breakfast, getting everybody dressed, fighting on the way to church, having to go all the way, yes, all the way to church, coming up in the house, enduring all the mess. Great faith requires the seeker to drive, to travel, to journey. Great faith will cost you something. That's why the elders said, come on to church when you're sick. Now, I know we got to be, we got to be a little smarter during the COVID era, but we still got to come to church when we're sick. Let's don't let COVID change it. Let's don't let COVID turn it to where every time we have a little cough, we can't come to church. Let's don't, let's don't let that happen, y'all. Let's don't feel a little bit of allergy problem and say, I better not go to church now. I don't want to get somebody sick. You know when you say that before God and everybody, when you say you don't want to make somebody sick, you better hope to God that's true. Because you could be lying if you say that. You, you don't just say stuff to try to get out and make excuses. We can't let COVID do this. We cannot let COVID turn us into those people. There is something powerful that happens when you come to church and you need a need and you've got a need and you're sick. I still believe you can come in the house of God and he can heal you and he can fix you. I believe that you can journey and find Jesus. You don't have to feel guilty about that. I'm preaching against the spirit of COVID. There's just not two or three of y'all. There's probably 40 of y'all. It's just the way it is these days. We've all been so scared to get around people. But look, look, listen to me. Great faith will go even when you're sick. I've got to get dressed and I've got to go. Because I, I believe when I get there, I might get prayed for and I could be healed. And I don't have to put all that medicine in my body. It's probably killing me anyway. And I can get free of all the medical bills. And it'll save me some time. I'd rather give God a shot. I'd rather give faith a shot. I'd rather try Jesus. Hey, you look, I know I'm shocking myself preaching it because I'm not the generation that preaches this way. That's my elders' generation. Don't worry, I feel guilty too preaching it. I'm a part of this generation. 
I'm with some of y'all. You're like, oh, man, I, I did that one time. I was barely sick, and I said I wasn't able to go to church. And I just want to encourage you and tell you right now, the elders, they would have walked through the snow. Was it five miles? I forgot. I don't know. But they would have walked through the snow, and they would have fought hell and high water because they believed if you could get to the place where Jesus is, that you could be healed. So starting from now on, from now on, I'm not trying to make anybody guilty from the past. From now on, if you're sick and you're not just highly contagious, let's get to the house of God and say, Pastor, pray for me. Call for the elders of the church. You can't just call for the elders of the church. That means get them close to you. That means get them close to you. Let's lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Let's get back to the Bible and let's believe that God will do a great miracle in our lives. All right, I'll move on. I feel you. It's okay. Second, you must dare to ask for what you know you don't deserve. You must dare to ask God for something you know you're not worthy of it. Great faith sees the wall of unworthiness and it climbs over it, breaks it down, builds a door through it because great faith refuses to let your lack of value stop you from getting your miracle. I'm preaching to somebody right now. You've got value, self-esteem, and insecurities, and it's holding you back. But I've come to tell you, you've got to overlook those things. You've got to forget what you see in the mirror and say, I don't care if I'm just trash. I don't care if I'm nothing. I'm going to go as a dog, and I'm going to get my miracle. <laughs> the woman said, I know I'm a dog. The centurion said, I know, I'm not worthy. I'm a dog, I'm not worthy. I'm a dog, I'm not worthy, but yet here I am. It takes great faith to approach God after being a drunk your whole life. It takes great faith to come to church after you've been wrecked with drugs and addiction. It takes great faith to come to church and to seek Jesus after all the broken promises you made God and a life of lies. It takes great faith to know you're just dirty. And you still come to church. It takes great faith to know that you're a sinner and that you're messed up and you've done wrong, but yet you still come to church. It's not because you're a hypocrite. It's not because you think that you're great. It's because you have great faith. It's because you believe that you can change. You believe that you can just reach Jesus. Everything will be okay. <laughs> After all the marriage issues you've had and the overall feelings of having no value, you still choose to go to Jesus. It takes great faith to ask God for anything when you know that you don't deserve it. But listen to me. What makes, that's what makes your faith so great. It's not about what you deserve. Neither of these individuals were religious people. Neither of these individuals were praying, sanctified, holy people. Neither of these individuals deserved to be in the presence of Jesus. But that's why he came to us. Because he knew there's no way we could ever get to him. These individuals did not belong in his presence. They were not righteous. They were not right. 
But it takes great faith to seek Jesus when you know you have not been serving God and you're not right. And nobody fights you harder than you. Nobody fights you, harder than, fights you harder than you in church. Nobody. When you're sitting there, no one fights you like you do. Nobody fights in your mind like you do. Nobody stays there because it's your fault. It's on you. But listen, I've come to preach to someone to tell you to break that out of your spirit, to break that out of your heart today. You are your worst enemy. It doesn't matter if you're valuable or not. I know you're not valuable, but you can still have great faith even while being a dog. I'm talking to somebody right now, you think you're a nothing and nobody. I've come to tell the nothings and the nobodies you can have great faith. I've come to tell somebody you think you're just trash, that you can make God go. That's marvelous right there. Because nothing moves God like somebody who doesn't deserve him. That's great faith right there. Let me just make sure this point settles in right now. If you have insecurity and value issues, I want you to know you're set up right now for great faith. You are literally set up. You are on the platform and about to jump into it. You are on the edge of it. You're qualified for great faith according to the scriptures. Great faith doesn't believe that God will do it because you're good. Great faith believes that God's going to do it because he's good. Great faith has nothing to do with who you are. Great faith has everything to do with who he is. You don't have faith because you deserve it. You have faith because he wants to give it. We are, we are looking at the nature of God here, not the nature of man. My faith does not reside in who I am and what I've accomplished. My faith resides in who he is and what he can do. Great faith does not, does not look at ourselves. Great faith looks at the master. Somebody's going to have great faith today. What's the third one? Great faith gets very specific. Jesus informed the Canaanite woman that your people are considered dogs to the Jews. And she could have easily taken that personally. And she could have easily been offended by Jesus. But you can't offend great faith. If you're taking notes, you can write that down because in this highly offended era that we live in, you cannot offend great faith. It's amazing what people will put up for a miracle, put up with for a miracle. You know why I want, you know why I want the miraculous in our church? Because people will still come to church even when they're mad. Look, if we got people getting healed from cancer and eyeballs growing back in sockets, people be like, you know what? I don't like anybody there, but the Lord is there. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I mean, there's miracles. I mean, I'm kind of feeling bad. I'm going to go to church anyway and put up with all them crazy folks. Because when you truly know that your answer in your life comes from Jesus Christ, you'll put up with a lot of drama. You cannot offend great faith. Because great faith is willing to be offended to get the miracle. How many times did Jesus seemingly embarrass someone? Like, hey, I can't see. Can you help me? I was like, sure, where's some mud at? Let's spin in it. <laughs> is that better? That's the most embarrassing thing you could have ever done to me, Jesus. I'm blind. And now I'm blind and I got spit and mud in my face. But guess what? You can't offend somebody that wants a miracle. 
And I, I, think, I think sometimes God uses an embarrassing method to get you out of your situation to see if you truly want to get out of your situation. Remember Naaman dipping in the muddy water? He was like, no, I don't want to do it like that. I want to find a clean river to do it. And he's like, well, you ain't ready. Hey, I, I don't want to make church too easy on folks. I don't want to make this gospel too cheap. I don't want to water this thing down too much and make it so simple because then you got a lot of people coming for themselves. But this thing doesn't work if you're selfish, and it doesn't work if it's all about you. This only works if it's about Jesus. And sometimes you got to get to a place where you would put up with anything and anybody just to get your miracle. Great faith is not easily offended. Listen. Church is going to have some times where stuff goes wrong and it's painful, but guess what? It just keeps you honest. It just, all it does is keep you honest. All it does is, is help you find out if you're real. All it does is help you find out if you truly want a miracle, you truly want to belong or not. That's all it does. But if you can pay the price of the offense, Jesus is going to give you a miracle today. Great faith is not easily offended. Her response is epic to me. If I'm a dog in this parable that you're talking about, Jesus, then you must be the master. I like how she had those, those skills of deduction, how she added it all up quickly and sliced it and diced it, and she figured out how to respond to Jesus. I love that. I love that she was a fast thinker and a fast talker because she had a comeback ready to go. It's almost as if she had been planning this in her own mind, that she knew that Jesus probably wouldn't receive her. She was ready. Y'all, when you want a miracle, you're going you're gonna to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. So, so she said, if I'm the dog, then you must be the master who's at the table. And then she even concludes this. If I'm the dog and you're the master, and there's crumbs involved, even the dog gets the crumbs. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that beautiful? She brought up the crumbs, not Jesus. But listen, this is what I really felt when I was studying this. The crumbs don't fall because the dog is hungry. The crumbs fall because the master is full. <laughs> Y'all know how when someone's really hungry and they try to finish, like my kids, they love like donuts. They're like, wait, is there any more left? Because whenever you, whenever you're hungry, you don't drop crumbs. The only reason why there's so much stuff on the floor is because the master doesn't need the food. He's only eating so that we can have the crumbs. The master doesn't need the food. He said, I am the bread. I am the bread. And she had the revelation that if you're the master, you don't even need the bread I'm going to spend my time at your feet, at your table, because a master as sloppy as you is a God that I want to serve and worship, but he's not sloppy, he's not careless, he's hoping that something will fall because he doesn't need the bread. She got the revelation. The master didn't need the bread. The crumbs didn't fall because the dog was hungry. The crumbs fell because the master was full. And I believe today in this place, our God doesn't need to do anything today except let something fall before us. Our God has no needs today. His only desire is to see somebody receive what they need and they came to church for. 
Our God is not in need of something he's already satisfied in full. The only thing he wants to accomplish today, he wants someone to catch the revelation that at the feet of Jesus, at the master's table, is everything you could ever need. And one crumb can satisfy. And one crumb can change your life forever. Just one crumb from the master's table can do what you've been seeking for for all these years. Great faith has nothing to do with your righteousness. It has all to do with his graciousness. He is so good to us. We don't deserve it. So when the centurion approached Jesus, he asked Jesus to heal his servant. Jesus said, I'll come. Well, that should have been problem solved, right? Nothing left to say. Maybe just a thank you. But that's not what happened. The centurion replied and said, no, not like that. And this is where it gets a little bit awkward because he told Jesus no. Can you imagine that? Jesus is like, sure, let's go do it. He's like, no. That's pretty awkward, isn't it? But this boldness was just exemplifying his belief that you're wasting your time. I know that you're more than someone who has to walk to the location. And this is his great faith on display. He continues and says, you are a man of authority. I know who you are. Like me, we don't have to walk. We can just say it. We can speak it, and it can be done. You've heard of the speed of light, right? But this is called the speed of spirit. All Jesus has to do is just want it done. And there is no time delay. There's no time lapse. If he wants it done, I don't care if it's here or in China, it's done. Because spirits move faster than light. Spirits can get there. Change can happen like that. And he says, you've got authority over the spirit realm. You've got authority over the, the, the airwaves. You've got authority to just snap your fingers and it's done. He said, I believe that all you've got to do is just say it and it shall be done. You just speak the word. Great faith doesn't say that you could, by the way. Notice the pattern. Great faith says you should. This is something so vital before we close it. I want you all to catch it. The quicker you find out If Jesus should do something, the quicker you can begin to declare it boldly. In both of our stories, both of them were sure Jesus should do it. They had no guesswork. They did not say what most of us say when we come to church. God, I know that you can. I've counseled people before and I said, do you believe? And they say, I know God can. And I said, but will he? Well, I don't know. The difference in great faith and average faith is not that you believe that God can do it. You believe that in this service right now, God will. Even deeper than that, God should. Because when you truly have the revelation of who he is and what he wants to do, you can talk that way to God. It's not disrespectful. It's revelation. When you begin to declare to Jesus what he should do, it's because you already know what he wants to do this is the revelation i want to get to you okay here we go our mind always goes first to well i'm sick and you're a healer so would you heal me i'm poor and you own the cattle of a thousand hills so would you help me out with my finances and we have seen god provide many miracles in our bodies and in our finances many times but that's usually the first place that our mind goes when we talk about the miraculous But why should he heal you would be my next question. Why should he give you the money you're asking for? 
What would you do if God healed you right now with your new body? Would Bishop go try to fix something again? (laughs) What would we do? If God took away your sickness, would you go and get it back? If he heals you because of the diet of your bad food choices over the years, would you go back to the diet that got you in the problem in the first place? What would you do if he healed you? Would you still be in church? The first thing we do when we talk about the miraculous in a Pentecostal church is we go straight to the stuff that makes our life easier, not better. And we have to ask the question today before we start to say, you should heal me. Why should he heal you? Great faith requires a little bit of depth and revelation is that you've got to first ask the question before I begin to declare it, why should he do it? I know that you can, but why will you today? Why will you do it in this place? What would I do if I had the money? Lord, you should pay all my bills. Would you come to church still? Would you go to work? What would you do differently if God gave you some of the miracles that you're asking for? Would it be worse for you or better for you? The reason why we highlight the miraculous of healing and provision is because we overlook the fact that his number one priority for us is to be saved. And the only reason why he provides for us tangibly, physically, is to prove to us that he can forgive our sins. That's biblical. Jesus actually said, I'm only doing these things to build your faith up so that you'll believe that I'll forgive you. So why would he want to heal us today? So that we'll live forever? No. So that we have our life perfect? No. He wants to take Bishop's arm, put the muscles back together, and have him testify it so that a sinner in this place right now can believe that if he can put muscles back together, he can put your life back together. (laughs) Now you're starting to catch the revelation. It's bigger than you getting your healing. It's bigger than your bills getting paid. It's a revelation that he can save you. He wants to prove himself to be a savior. Let's clap our hands to the Lord today one more time. He wants to heal somebody with a lump on your body and take it away miraculously. He wants to open up the blinded eyes, not just so that we can see, so that we can see. He wants to do these things in the apostolic church in the last days, not so that we can live comfortable lives and we can quit church. He wants to do these things so that people will believe and sinners will repent and the baptistry tank will be full and people will receive the Holy Ghost. And I want the miraculous not so that my life can be easier. I want the miraculous so that people can be saved. Now, I don't know, y'all, but, but I thought I read where both of these were public occurrences. Why would Jesus want to do miracles publicly? Because he wants to get the word out that he can do anything. Even save sinners. Even forgive sin for 30 years in the making. 
He can take something like your past and wash it and erase it. If he can open blinded eyes, unstop the deaf ears, then he can forgive all the trash, all the mess, all the hurt, all the abuse. He can heal you emotionally and mentally. He can get you off the drugs and medication today. But we need somebody to be a vessel that says, you ought to do it today. You ought to do it today, Jesus. You ought to do it today, Jesus. You should do it today, Lord. But you ought to get something in your mind. Why should he do it? Because I want revival in this church. I want revival in our families. I want our kids to grow up seeing miracles, signs, and wonders. Not so that they can just have their own miracles, but so they can believe that our God is real and he's alive. Jesus' name. We usually highlight him as the healer and provider over the Savior, and we forget he didn't come to heal us and maybe save us. He came to save us and maybe heal us. Boy, if we could ever get the world to realize that they're lost, they'd forget about the fact that they had cancer or high blood pressure, and they would fill this church up. The majority of the people in the world are so carnal that all they want is another good day on the earth. They care nothing about their eternity. And Jesus said, I did not come here just to make you live forever and have a good life on the earth. I came here to make sure that you were saved. And here's the reason why the Lord should do a notable miracle today. Because he needs to show to us that he is a sin-forgiving God. You can't see sin wash away. That's why there needs to be a manifestation in this place today. That's why miracle signs and wonders will always accompany a revival and a, a birth of evangelism because we need to have a notable miracle to prove that our God can do what he said he could do. His priority is our salvation. And sometimes your physical pain is your eternal gain. Sometimes when you're going through some sickness, sometimes it's the only reason why you get up and pray and read your Bible in the morning because you know you're falling apart. You know, I meet people as a pastor and... They got problems, and I'm like, do you, you pray and study your Bible, right? I'm like, no, no. I just need Jesus. I'm like, will you, will you pray and read your Bible, right? You give them church every Sunday, right? No, I just need Jesus. That's not very convincing, ladies and gentlemen. You see, so, some of us, some of us, we would be lost if we were healed. Some of us would be lost if we didn't have money problems. Some of us would be lost. And sometimes when we talk about healing and miracles, we do it out of selfish gain. And James said, you don't pray for your will to be done. Jesus even taught, when you pray, pray like this. Pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. I want what you want to happen in me. If you want to use me as a vessel, if you want to do a miracle in me so that somebody else can have faith, then use me. You should heal me so they can believe. You should heal me so they can believe. You should heal Bishop so somebody else can be forgiven. That's the boldness I want to get inside of our spirit today in the name of Jesus. There's one more thing that I didn't mention to you, and this is how we're going to close today. I think it would be easier, though, if I had help with it. Um, uh, let's see. Who wants to help me? Any volunteers? Any actors? Omar, <laughs> that's funny, Omar, come on Omar, Dante, you want to help, yeah, can y'all get those, uh, let's get one chair for me, let's set one chair up right here, put your jacket on, make sure you look handsome, Good. no, that's much better for the camera, thank you, 
Let's put this chair up here on the platform, right there, in front of that speaker. Yeah. That's good. Dante, you can sit here in this chair. Good. And Omar, go down there. There's one more thing that great, just stand over there kind of by the other speaker right there. Thank you. There's one more thing that great faith is so key. I, you may have caught it by now. Great faith is not for you. <laughs> great faith was not for you. In both stories of great faith, there was a mediator that was not speaking on their own behalf, but the mediator was helping somebody get through their storm. And here's what the Lord wanted me to tell you today. When you're going through something, you don't have great faith. When you've got the cancer and you've got the sickness and you're barely holding on, it's hard to have great faith. Yeah. But thank God for someone who loves you enough to say, you stay here. I'm going to get help, Dante, okay? I'm going to get help. Because I know that you're hurting and I know that you're broken and I know that you can barely move and you can barely pray. I know you can barely fast. But here's what great faith looks like. You stay here. I'm going to get you help. You might not get them, but I'm going to get them, okay, Dante? I'm going to get them. This is what great faith looks like. Great faith is when you don't need it, but you love somebody else that does. Jesus, listen, Jesus, I've got a friend, and they're going through hell, and they're sick, and they can't make it, and they don't know how it's going to work out, but I came to tell you that if you can speak to him, I came to tell you, Jesus, I don't need it. He needs it, because great faith is when you activate your faith for somebody else. Come on, Jesus, come on, I need you, come on, come on, this guy right here, he needs a miracle in his life, I don't do this for me, I do it because I love my brother, Jesus, if you could just come to my brother. Great faith is activated when you stop thinking about what you're going through and you stop thinking about your sickness and your problems and you think about your brother and your sister across the church and you look at them and say, Jesus, they need a miracle. Oh God, help us, help us have great faith in the church. Let's all stand to our feet right now. Help us have great faith in our church. I wonder what God would do if somebody would get your eyes off yourself and look around this building and find somebody else and say, Jesus, heal them. <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. The hardest prayer I've ever had to pray is for myself these last three years of my neck injury. And I have, I have longed for somebody else's faith. How many of you can testify and say when you're going through a storm, it's hard to even lift your head up 
But are you not glad for somebody in the church that loves you? That when you feel like you can't make it, uh, they're praying for you on your behalf. Uh, they're looking for Jesus. Uh, they're in their car going to church. Uh, but you don't feel like going to church. Uh, and they're at the altar. And they're not thinking about themselves. Uh, they're thinking about somebody else. You know, I believe that we could see a miracle today if we would stop thinking about us for a second. I feel the Holy Ghost about to break in this place right now. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> the Lord is about to do a miracle. And here's how it's going to happen today. A great miracle is going to take place, but not like you think. It's going to take place when you forget about the pain in your body. You forget about the storm you're going through. And you find somebody that can barely get their head above water and you walk up to them and say in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, receive your miracle right now, receive your healing right now, and you let their faith uh, help you. During my season of my pain and my suffering, it has been very easy for me to get a word for everybody else. It's been very easy for me to pray for everybody else. It's been really hard to hear from God from me. Because when you're going through something personally, it's hard to have faith for yourself. And that's why we need the brothers and the sisters of the church. Because we're not all going to go through a storm at the same time. We're not all going to be down at the same time. And I'm telling you right now, if you feel like life's pretty good for you and you're not having that much trouble, I'm telling you right now, we need your faith. Because somebody else in this room is barely hanging on by a thread. They're barely making it, and they don't have enough faith to get to Jesus. They don't have enough faith to make it. But if you could just become an intercessor for somebody else, I'm telling you, Jesus will marvel at it, and you'll begin to see a miracle in your life. What if my healing for my neck is in somebody else's faith? What if my ministry as a pastor would be to anoint someone like Brother Wes, pray over him, and help him through his storms so that one day he could pray for me? We spend so much time investing in our own situations and we're miserable for it and we don't get a breakthrough and we don't get help because we're thinking about us so much and that's just regular faith. But great faith is when you say, you know what, I know somebody in this room right now, they're going through the storms of life and hell. But I believe God's going to fix it. I believe I can talk to Jesus for them. I believe I can be a mediator, intercessor, and I can go. They may not feel like going, but I can go. And I'm telling you, that great faith will unlock something in this atmosphere that someone's going to receive a miracle. I want someone right now that you've got great faith to go lay your hands on Bishop right now. And you speak to that body in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord right now. Come on, do it the right way. Like I said in the Bible, you should, God. Do it the right way. Don't ask God. Say, in the name of Jesus, uh, you should. Our bishop has things to do. Our bishop needs to be used in the kingdom. We don't see him aging. We see him still young and vibrant. And you should attach that muscle in the name of Jesus. That's it. Anybody have faith right now for somebody else?
It's hard to believe for yourself. It's hard to believe for yourself. Jesus, just speak the word to Bishop's body. Muscles attach back in place. Nerve system go back to where it belongs. Heal him. Make him whole. By the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, uh, I've got faith for him. I believe for him. I believe for his miracle right now in Jesus' name. Jesus, thank you. Come on, I feel it right now working. I feel it working. You feel like God's going to do something for somebody else. Uh, that's great faith. That's great faith. Oh God, right now I have great faith for somebody in this place. Yeah, you're gonna make it because I said I'm praying for you. I support you. That great faith is going to rise up right now. I don't care about your past. I don't care about what you've been through. If you believe, if you trust, if you declare it, you ought to do a miracle today because you are the master. I may be the dog, but you are the master. 